The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Viewers, listeners, I am so, so giddy for not one, not two, but three reasons. Three reasons why I am just unbearably excited, and I got to share them with you. First off, right out the gate, our guest this week on the show I'm really excited to talk to him. Stephen Robles is going to be joining us in the second segment, a terrific podcaster, does entertainment industry podcasts, does tech podcasts. I feel like I got a lot to learn from this person. So for that reason, I'm excited to have him on. But he's, I know he's going to give you all as creators a lot of great advice as well. I know a lot of you are podcasters. I know a lot of you are thinking about podcasting or maybe you're in live streaming or maybe you do product reviews. If you're anywhere in that space, you're going to enjoy our conversation with Stephen Robles when he comes on later in the program. That's going to be a blast. And that's just the first thing that I'm excited about, which is already plenty to be excited about. But we got some more. I got to bring in producer Lauren for numbers two and three here. Producer Lauren, how are you? I get to be two and three. Well, I should mention like one and a half of the thing reasons why I'm excited. I'm just always excited to be chatting with you, of course. Oh, okay. I, I don't. I don't want to <laughs> give you do a short so trip. Often that it doesn't yeah, get yeah. count. Yeah. I mean, I see you every week. No, I of course I'm always happy to see you, Lauren. 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 Gotta Ryan, say, Ryan, Ryan, got 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 to share this with you. Pretty excited. Our boy Jake Berger, the amazing mustachioed Marlins man. He did it again. Oh, look at that picture of Jake Berger. Oh, what a magnificent human being. So two weeks ago, viewers and listeners, if you missed it, we spent a good chunk of that show just obsessing over the person that is now my favorite baseball player, Marlins third baseman, Jake Berger. Why do I love him? If you are watching the live stream, you know why I love Jake Berger, because to look at him is to love him. All right. First of all, he looks like everyone's dad and baseball players are great when they look like your dad, right? They don't need to be these completely built, muscular, athletic specimens. Sometimes they can be dudes that look like your dad that have mustaches. Your dad can be super built and athletic looking too. I mean, nobody wants that dad. We want the dad with the mustache. That guy in that picture, he's taking you fishing. I mean, that's... That's the, so, so he's got the dad vibes, which are great. And he, you know, in addition to like the delightful mustache and he's a little husky and, and, and looks like an everyman and that's awesome. He also hits like 9,000 foot home runs and we love that. So there's a lot to like about Jake Berger, but Jake Berger last night, viewers okay. and listeners, let me tell you, bottom of the ninth, two outs. What does Jake Berger do? He gets the game winning base hit Marlins victory still in the wild card race. We as a not just as a community, but as a, not just a baseball community, but the nation as a whole needs to get behind the Marlins making the playoffs. If for no other reason that it means more Jake Berger in your life. Look <laughs> at that beautiful man right there. We're uh, Berger fans. 
Oh, I mean, and, and the nicknames are great. Like I've, they call him Smash Burger, which is cool. Uh, Jake the Rake, Rake Burger. There's uh, so many fantastic things you can do with it. Burgatron, I think, is also very popular. There's a lot you can do with that name, and just it must be delight. fun to be behind the scenes with. He, uh, he doesn't seem stuffy if he's allowing all that to go down. Certainly not. And maybe he, maybe I also like him because he reminds me of Ron Swanson a little bit. He's got kind of the Ron Swanson vibe. And who doesn't love Ron Swanson? All right. I see that. This is a music podcast. Let's get all this out of here. Um, He's the entertaining. Third, the third. Oh, he, he is not that. independently. I don't know. Don't no, know. certainly not. Uh, he works for a big, I mean, the Marlins are basically an independent company. Like nobody would call them a big business. <laughs> um, he, he's got an independent creator spirit, Jake Berger. I just, oh, okay. I'm just assuming as much. The third thing I'm, I'm excited about. I'm for his about. indie album to come out, though, in between seasons. It'll be awesome. Exactly. So, as we said, Stephen Robles is going to be joining us. We're excited about that. Number two, Jake Berger's still here. And third thing, coming into our future. So we did a little past, present, future. You know what's coming back? The Protect Working Musicians Act. <gasps> yes! Yes! Uh, Who's a, taking a, it over? A favorite statute, yes, because uh, it would have to be somebody new, right? Because the last time we were talking about the Protect Working Musicians Act, it was when our guest, uh, Congressman uh, Ted Deutsch, Deutsch, was on the show. Uh-huh. But obviously, Ted jo Deutsch not in Congress anymore. So somebody has to take up this mantle of this legislation that we've been banging the drum about for years, the idea of, of a law that would allow independent creators to unionize effectively— and allow themselves to collectively bargain against things like streaming services and tech platforms to get a better deal for themselves. Any of y'all right now who are watching the uh, SAG after strikes and are seeing all of these creative professionals fighting for a better livelihood for themselves, fighting for health care, fighting for a reasonable standard of living and working together. And, and have you ever thought to yourself, well, why can't? musicians do that why can't recording artists do that why can't songwriters do that why can't twitch streamers do that these are all platforms that seem to be underpaying these creative professionals why can't tiktokers do that and you might be you know, so why can't and they go why? on strike oh and the answer is because under labor law those folks are all considered independent contractors right and thus they are not allowed to unionize the way that actors and writers are who are typically employees if Independent contractors try to unionize. It's considered a monopoly, a violation of antitrust law, and they can't do it. So what does this glorious piece of legislation that has emerged again, the Protect Working Musicians Act, do? It allows these kinds of creators to unionize the same way that the writers and the actors do to get better deals from these big tech platforms. Representative Deborah Ross has taken up the mantle of this legislation. I found out like just right before we started recording this show that this legislation is back and it's hopefully back. now like because before when when uh, representative deutsch introduced this legislation it didn't get a lot of traction nobody was really talking about it i mean even when we had ted deutsch on the show we were trying to get him to talk about it and we couldn't even <laughs> get him excited about his own damn law because he knew it didn't have a significant chance of passage but now in but that was 2022. I didn't know that it didn't have a chance. That's sad. Yeah, but now it's 2023. Okay. We now have the SAG after strike. I believe that the American people see the importance of allowing creators 
to band together and collectively bargain and get a better life for themselves. And if you think something like that is great for actors and it's a great thing for writers, why wouldn't it also be a great thing for people who make music, people who write songs, people who Twitch or who stream on platforms like Twitch or make TikTok videos? These are all entertainers that make us happy and we want them all to have a good standard of living. And so why not give them the power to band together and collectively bargain for a better deal from these tech platforms? I'm still confused over the why they can't get together part. I mean, I get that that's the law, but I don't get it. Well, (laughs) I think the reason why you don't get it is because when you think of the laws against monopolies, right? You think of these big companies, right? These big oil companies. Don't you have to be a company to have a monopoly on something? Like the the whole definition of a whole bunch of individuals having a monopoly doesn't make sense. It has to be one, right? Well, right, but the but the, but, there, but there's a monopoly, and then there's like uh you know a, a bunch of companies like collectively, you know, working together, right? We don't generally don't allow, we wouldn't allow, you know, Disney and HBO and a bunch of tech companies or a bunch of like media companies to like band together and not compete against each other, right? That would violate antitrust oh. law, and so as far as the law is concerned, they are treating. These creators, these independent creators as as media companies or as oil companies or gas companies, simply because they're not being employed by an employer. But as you've kind of astutely noted here, Lauren, there's not a big difference between actors and writers who are and independent creators who happen to be working with platforms like TikTok. These are all individuals that we want to protect and we want them to get the best standard of living. And to do that, we need to reconceptualize labor law to understand that there's not a big difference between actors and TikTokers, and they should all have the ability to collectively bargain against the people paying them. And that's what the Protect Working Musicians Act is going to be all about. I already have a media request out to Representative Ross. I hope she joins the show like Representative Deutsch did so that we can get some more information on this and get the word out. Honestly, so much Get me to understand it because I'm like... Well, of course they'd be able to do that. Why, why oh, wait, they, they can't? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. If like, I don't know. If actors can, why shouldn't TikTokers? Why shouldn't musicians, right? We're all the, independent. I mean, like each of them is going from job to job too. And we're all creative professionals. They should be treated the same. Interesting, interesting. And, okay. And well, we need that the, needs to happen. So I guess we're behind you, yeah, Representative we, and, Ross. Let's... uh. Let us know what we can do to help. I want to get that out there for sure. Absolutely. Especially because like so much legislation gets passed for the entertainment industry, the <laughs> music no modernization act and, you know, and, and things like that. And none of this law actually helps regular middle-class Joe musician or Joe independent creator, right? It's, like, you know, laws that fundamentally change copyright, for example. Copyright's great, but most independent musicians, changes in copyright law don't really move the needle for them because they're trying to just, you know, make money day by day. And they're, you know, you know, making being able to make money on TikTok doesn't change just because you alter copyright law a bit. Changes in copyright law affect big businesses. They affect very wealthy creators. But what Lower tier creators, what workaday creators need, what working musicians need are changes to labor law to allow them to have a level playing field when they negotiate with TikTok or when they negotiate with Spotify or when they negotiate with these tech platforms like YouTube so they can get a better deal. 
I'm thinking about like well said like name like the National Association of Mobile Entertainers they're organizations that kind of you can get to you can not unionize but like there are organizations out there that are helping be able to get uh insurance for your company so that when you're going out and doing all of these independent gigs you can actually have insurance you can yeah. sign the venue on to and you can make sure that your equipment is protected and things that they don't usually allow and build for independent uh contractors and independent people and i don't understand why that same kind of like if i was a painter or a like i can get licenses to go out and paint your house and there's a whole bunch of individuals that can do it but we protect um things with them that we're not doing with musicians and i'm i guess i'm just still confused by the fact that they can't get together and do stuff <laughs> sounds good to me i <laughs> what you seem to be articulating is not exactly well. the need for this kind of legislation and to me, I've been, I had always been a little pessimistic that a law like this could get passed because just of how difficult, you know, how hard it can be to sway public opinion to get the public excited about something and to make the public say this is a priority. Right. But I think with this SAG after strike, it has turned the tide and has made the American people give a damn about entertainment professionals in a way that I have never seen. In my professional career, there's a real difference between this strike and the strike that happened back in 2008, because I think back in 2008, there's the writers, more social media. <laughs> well, that's true. But but even back then, I remember when the writers went on strike, there was still this like feeling of, oh, why don't these entitled writers just get back to work? You know, they're just, you know, it's it's not real work. They're not, you know, breaking rocks with other rocks. They're not doing construction. They're just typing things into a keyboard. Why should they get labor benefits? Smash cut to 2023, you're seeing a sea change. You're seeing people become much more sympathetic to the cause of labor and much more supportive of these entertainment professionals because they're seeing how consolidated the media industry is getting, how there are fewer, fewer media providers, which tends to hurt media quality and tends to put the squeeze on creative professionals where they're not getting the same pay and benefits that they used to get. And consumers don't want to stand for that. They want an environment where creative professionals are fairly compensated and can have a good standard of living. And that same impulse that we are seeing the people want for actors and writers in SAG and the WGA, I don't see any reason why people wouldn't also want that for other kinds of creative professionals, like when uh, recording artists post music on Spotify or songwriters or TikTokers or live streamers, especially yeah. with the young people, right? Because with young people, the live streamers, the TikTokers, those are the entertainers they recognize. Right. They recognize the TikTokers more than they recognize the you know today's movie stars or writers or things like that. So those are the folks that young people are going to be like, yeah, I want those people supported. I want those people to be able to make a good standard of living. Well, and they're saying I'm paying this money to TikTok so I can watch the people I want to watch. I'm putting money into these organizations because of the entertainers that are creating the content and the fact that that money has no need to go to those entertainers like that's there's no regulation whatsoever that says any kind of anything like they can do whatever they want. And um, that's weird uh but we've been kind of making this point for a while so that's not new <laughs> a commenter writes in the greed at the top has gotten so extreme 
that it's at a breaking point. I think that's what's driving a lot of this is people are starting to see the end game now where there are fewer and fewer meeting co media companies where tech platforms are limiting our entertainment options and are becoming more profitable than ever off the backs of creators that are not getting paid in any meaningful way by this platform, right? Like, and you we're look volunteering at, for it. Right. Just, well, because they have the to, because, you. you know, there's only, you know, th you know, there's only, there's only, there's so few short form video platforms, right? There's TikTok and there's YouTube shorts and there's Instagram reels and there's a few other smaller ones, but really there's just TikTok. And so if right. you're trying to make a career for yourself in short form video, you have to go to TikTok and TikTok knows this. So they have no incentive to provide decent payouts to share some of the massive profits that they're making with independent creators unless the very biggest independent creators maybe the top five percent of creators on the platform band together and say we are collectively not going to put our content on your platform TikTok, unless you provide decent payouts and you share in the profits of what your platform is making and if we can change labor law to allow these kind of creators to do this in the same way that actors and writers can do this through SAG and the WGA, that could make some meaningful change in this industry. Yeah. How did it start? I Now I feel like I need to go back and do research onto the history of how did the major movie networks and the actors guilds um, and those unions kind of get together because there are people making independent films and independent things. And we got to a point where, um, in, you people were creating content all over the place and they still needed a platform to distribute that content and then there were regulations on on paying people that worked for the things that were making the distribution these are still distribution platforms there's still places where you're putting your content and getting it out to the world but they can not have any kind of accountability to the people creating the content and I don't understand how that, not necessarily how that happened. I get that, but how did that evolution happen in the, in the theater world from the Broadway world to the like? How many people are creating new shows? But if you want those shows to be profitable, you still went down these revenue streams that had to create things that then were allowed to be unionized. Those are performers. Well, the to me, the music industry is a great example of one way that this happened, right? For years, before I even started Break the Business, I was lamenting how much power that record labels had over musicians and how record labels were kind of putting like a boot on the neck of musicians and preventing them, you know, taking a great deal of their profits. And so I was writing books you know, years ago talking about how we need to, you know, throw off the record label model. We have to get artists to go independent so that they can realize their potential. But what I didn't see coming was the emergence of tech platforms and the power they would have, like Amazon and Spotify, where yeah. what wound up happening was artists were getting free of the record label model, but they were just changing one company that controls their livelihood to another, right? Because they were shaking off the labels. It doesn't give them anything at all. And then getting crushed by Amazon, <laughs> who 
you know, in a lot of ways are giving artists worse deals. That's what I'm saying. Like, we were like, hey, guys, these contracts you're signing, they're really bad. They're not good for you. You should be doing this on your own. And then platforms came up and went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it on your own. Yeah, do it on your own. Come and to we us. We'll even, help you do it on your own. We won't even give you that contract. Don't worry about that bad contract. <laughs> Just give us your content. We won't give you any kind of monetary advance. We won't give you any kind of advice. We won't do any of this stuff for you. But you can give us your content. We won't make you sign anything. We also won't pay you anything and keep all of your money. Like, I don't understand how that happened. And there's two ways that you could get a tech platform to share these profits with the creators. Okay. One is you make some legislation make to make them do it. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> you know, it's hard hey, enough to get Congress to do anything. We're giving or, good luck to Deborah Ross. Come on. Right. Or you go with the Deborah Ross option where you give creators the power to fight for those that profit sharing on their own behalf, right? To unionize, to collectively bargain so that they don't need the government to get that uh, share to get them to share they're going to make those platforms share by themselves that's Good to me that i think could be something that really moves the needles for independent careers so we're going to follow this we're going to yeah. follow this legislation i want to talk to representative ross and see if we can uh, really move this forward because now this is the time to strike while the iron's hot right we have never seen a time in my lifetime where people have given a damn more about creative professionals and wanting them to have a good livelihood, this is the time for us to have this conversation for independent and creators. never in history have those independent creators had such a direct line to their audiences and as loud of a voice. So if those Through independent creators... Yeah, well, they used to, you know, complain at the bar that they were at, but that couldn't make <laughs> national news. <laughs> but now, like, they're complaining on social media to their audience. Their audience is hearing them firsthand. And if the independent creators get together and say this is important for them and back up people like Representative Ross, uh, you've got the power to reach people. So, you know, it's we need we need you guys too. <laughs> <laughs> like we need to band the people together. I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah, right on. All right, I got another story here before we bring in our guest, Stephen Robles. Okay. Uh, talking about uh, Banzoogle and DistroKid. These are two platforms that we mentioned quite a bit on this program. DistroKid, a terrific platform that musicians can use to distribute their music, putting their music on Spotify, on Apple Music, on all those streaming platforms. DistroKid's a, a great low-cost platform. It's one of the ones that we recommend frequently on this program. Banzool, a terrific platform as well. We've had representatives from that company on the show before. It is sort of a, it's kind of a Swiss army knife of artist tools. It is a platform where an artist can create a pretty decent artist website that, you know, it's all kind of like a plug and play. You don't need a lot of web design background to be able to build a nice website through Banzoogle. You can have e-commerce functionality through a Banzoogle website, so you can sell merchandise and concert tickets. They have integrations where you can do subscription programs with your fans, and they also have crowdfunding capabilities all on Banzoogle. So what happened earlier this month, as TechCrunch reported, is that DistroKid has acquired Banzoogle. Okay. And and so now you got to start thinking about, oh, what are, what what are, are the ways that... You know, what What children can this marriage make? Well, uh, in a statement, DistroKid CEO Philip Kaplan said, quote, At DistroKid, we're always working on innovative ways to help artists. Banzoogle has built incredible tools that make it super easy for every artist to set up an impactful public website and e-commerce store. 
And so I think though no specific features have been announced from this collaboration, from this uh, acquisition, what's believed is that this is eventually going to create a situation where a DistroKid user can distribute their music on the DistroKid platform. And while they're there, DistroKid's going to have options for, hey, while you've distributed your music with us, you want us to help you build a website? You want to set up e-commerce so that in addition to selling your music on Spotify, we can also set up your merchandise. We can set up your concert tickets. Uh, you want to do crowdfunding here? You can, we can set all that up. It's a one-stop shop uh, for a lot of different things that an artist needs all in one platform. And we've seen different versions of this before, right, Lauren, where we, yeah. where we have distribution platforms that are working with other kind of platforms that artists serve, that serve artists to create uh, unique offerings. Uh, a few months ago, back in May, I think it was, we reported how CD Baby was working on an API with the co-signed platform that would allow artists using CD Baby to register their copyrights while distributing music on CD Baby. Hey, so you, we saw that you just distributed you your music through us. You want to register the copyright while you're at it? You don't have to go to a different platform for that? That stuff's really, really cool. Um, I, I love these kind of integrations, uh, because yeah. there's so many things that a, an artist has to do when they put a piece of music out. And a lot of different, you know, you have to distribute the music. You got to set up your publishing. You got to set up your digital performance royalties. You got to set up your website, your email lists. You got to do your social media. You got to do your crowdfunding. Maybe you have a subscription platform. You want to sell concert tickets. And up until not that long ago, every single one of those things required a different platform where you had to create a different username, different password. Uh, upload your payment information, submit another W9 over and over and over again. Yeah. And for a lot of artists, they could get lost. So the more that we can see platforms bringing these things together in a one-stop shop, that can create some real value for creators. Of course, the challenge is, and because I've had people ask me, well, why isn't there just one platform where you can set <laughs> up your distribution, your publishing, your website, your sound exchange royalties, your performance royalties, and like everything an artist needs? Why can't this all be done in one place? And the answer is because the infrastructure for every single one of these things is so complicated yeah. and uh, they're so different from each other and some involve the government and some don't involve the government that it's just really hard to find a way to integrate all these things together. But we're starting to see it slowly but surely. And as we do, there can be some really cool things going on for artists there. Do you think, I? because I think if there's, there's a lot of companies, organizations, people you can hire to wrangle that stuff, management people as you were. To like, I do a lot of that work for artists. It's a big right, part of going, my legal okay, practice. I've got to do 12 different things. And they're on 12 different sites. And if I could just get someone to wrangle those 12, I could just talk to one person. And so people will hire somebody to talk to one person so that that person can do 12 things. By marrying some of these companies, do you think the companies are going to start employing those people that were independent before to say, like, hire our company so that even though you can do all of this stuff independently there, our advisors will oversee six different things for you because they're all under our umbrella. It's tricky because the only way that this can be profitable and it can scale for a tech company like this is you have to make it as, as little human intensive as possible. And for a lot of things, by the way, that's like, you know, it's unavoidable. There, like, there, there's no way you can completely techify it. It's like, for example, if you're setting up publishing for an artist, like if you're setting up the songwriting royalties for an artist, 
there's going to be humans involved in that process. There's no way around it because there's too much moving parts with setting up uh, mechanical royalties and making sure that the songwriting splits are all set and, and working with the international uh, sub publishers. There's just no way to not have humans involved. But if you want to make this something that's scalable and affordable, you have to find a way to techify it as much as possible. And that's going to be, uh, you know, that that's a tricky challenge. And by the way, like, you know, we, we don't want, maybe we don't want too much consolidation in this space. Cause think about what we just talked about in the last segment, right? Like the reason why we are the, where, where we are with creators, not uh, being able to make as much money off their career is because there are a few companies out there that, you know, provide all the ways that artists make money. So the more consolidation that's, we have yeah. in this industry, the more problems it creates. But I'm if not we saying have, it's a good thing. I'm saying I'm afraid of it almost like that. They'll go, Hey, you do it all yourselves. You do it all yourselves. But the people who come to us to get it done because we do it all for you, they're getting priority over the other people. They're yeah. getting these. And guys. we and want 99% you of with, your royalties. Right. And now we've got, you know, organizations running people's careers for them and taking all the money. And we're right back to where we started. Like, I don't know how much of this merging <laughs> is going to just create the same thing for the next generation. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's something we have to watch. I mean, uh, for like industry consolidation is always going to be the greatest threat to independent creators, right? It used to be 20 years ago that it was the consolidation of the music industry. There were four to five major record labels that controlled 80% of the music we all heard. And that sort of consolidation made it hard for artists to get a good deal. Now we're seeing even more consolidation where there's like maybe, you know, there's two major platforms that that provide music streaming for people. Right. And, and so that allows those platforms to squeeze artists. And so... I'd love to ultimately see our government really do something about antitrust law and, yeah. you know, enforcing the laws we already have on the books to prevent these kind of monopolies and consolidations from happening. But now I'm just being silly. Yeah. Um, all right. So here we got, we got a couple minutes. <laughs> on Lauren. that positive note. Yeah. <laughs> do we want to take a break and bring out our guest or do we want to go to the A Overlord tip of the a week real quick? Overlord tip of the all right. Fair enough. My, okay. I can't. I got I certainly don't want to get us in trouble with the AI overlord by not providing uh, our tip of the week. Not for sharing the, his for advice. For the uninitiated, what we do here is... Uh, we ask ChatGPT to give us a piece of advice for independent creators. Sometimes the advice it gives is really terrific. Sometimes it's just plain silly, and maybe often because we ask it to like throw in a random movie quote or something. But I think the piece of advice it's given us this week is pretty good. Here we go. Okay. Our tip of the week, embrace the power of mindful breaks. Now, this isn't your usual take-a-day-off advice. Instead, consider integrating moments of stillness into your workflow. You might find it odd, but dedicating five minutes every hour to simply doing nothing can refresh your cognitive palate. This doesn't mean scrolling on your phone or thinking about work. It means genuinely stepping back. Look out a window, breathe deeply, or even observe the intricate designs of an object nearby. This deliberate pause can reset your creative gears and offer a fresh perspective, something every creator occasionally needs. In a world that values constant hustle, these brief hiatuses can be your secret weapon to a cleaner, more innovative mind. So when your creativity feels stagnant, instead of pushing harder, pause purposefully. 
pause purposefully. I like that. I do like that. And it's something that I, I need to heed the can, AI overlord's advice. Can we advice. put the quote for the AI overlord this week? Can it just say pause purposefully, quote, AI overlord? I mean, it's it's so challenging for me in my own line of work because I'm I'm always going, right? Because I go right from practicing law to podcasting to being a dad. I can't remember the last time I just sat five minutes and just kind of vegged out, meditated. But I do think that would be a valuable creative exercise. And uh, I'm I'm excited to do that. Maybe after the show is over, I'm just going to like stare in the middle distance for five minutes and see what genius results from that particular excursion. I bet our guest coming up in the next segment, Stephen Robles, I bet he uh, indulges in this because he's got so much creative stuff going on. I bet it can only come from all the purposeful pausing he must be doing. There let's take go. Let's purposefully pause for a couple minutes for a commercial break, <laughs> and we'll come back with our guest, Stephen Robles, here in two minutes on Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business. Ryan Carell here with producer Lauren, just having a grand old time on all major podcast platforms, streaming platforms, and Sirius XM 145. There's so many places to check out this particular program, and wherever you are checking it out, we are just so darn glad that you are. Keep in touch with us. Send us those five-star reviews. Tell a friend about the show. Help us grow this little community. We would very much appreciate that. Let's go ahead and bring out our guest this week, Lauren. He is an award-winning tech and entertainment industry podcaster who hosts engaging audio and video programs featuring long-form interviews, film discussion, tech reviews, and more. You can find out more about our guest podcast, YouTube channel, and newsletter by visiting beard.fm. That's the coolest domain <laughs> name I've ever heard in my life. We are happy to welcome Stephen Robles on to Break the Business. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Ryan and Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. 
Hey. We are thrilled to have you here. Gosh, what a look at that sweet setup pretty? he's got. When he popped on, I was like, I want to hang out there. Well, thank you. Yeah, I got the opportunity. We built a house a little over a year ago, and I got to set up this. It's a small studio space. It's about nine feet by eight feet, and got to really kind of Take it out how I was hoping. A lot of smart devices so I can be ready to record in just a few seconds. And uh, yeah, it's been fun to create content here. We oh. are getting some popping on your mic, just so you know. But some it popping. sounds clear between those. I don't know if it's a connection. I'll move it a little but... farther away. That's yeah, it's, it's, it's a one of the, issue, It's, it's like know? the worst challenge. Like this <laughs> Because you can't hear it's yourself of, in your mic. You know? It's sort of like when you have like a radio call-in interview. You'll see this sometimes where <laughs> the when when the person's doing the call interview and the phone line is it, it has some crackling, and so you're like, oh, that doesn't sound a hundred percent, but it's not so bad that you like have them hang up and you're in this kind no, of like no, weird no, no, limbo. Yes. I don't know what's going on there. Maybe it's like a wiggling of a cable or something, but we can hear you That's well right. enough, and okay. you got too much insight to share that we but don't want to lose so it. But it's clean between it. That it is. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me know. If it, if it continues, I'll try. I might have to turn down my gain, too. Maybe I'm just uh, peeking over there. No, so, it's not a, it's no, not no, a gain no, thing. It's like you'll a, hear it back later and laugh at it. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, do that. I can switch mics. I do have, I do have an SM7B. Oh, my right gosh. He's like, I've got 12 options for you here. How I mean, do you I, like the sound of this? I mean, I kind of want to see him switch way. mics just to see. Cause, can that be done on the fly? Is it just a matter of switching something up? Let's, let's find out. Dude, I feel like we're doing a mic test. This is amazing. You know, I mean, we're we're not getting any audio out of that one, but you know, like if he was doing a, a product <laughs> review where we're like, all right, we're gonna compare the Sure mic over here to the Rode mic over here. That's How right. do you like your Rode Go? Oh, we got an SM58. Okay, never mind. Ah, yes, worth a shot. It looked right? cool the way you like brought cool. the mics in and out like I tried. that. I do. I kind of want to see like multi coming in from I up try, top. I try. I do have my shotgun mic over here too, but I'm not going to. Yes. You know, oh my God. Gonna... So not hooked up to the computer. How many mics do you have currently sitting in that room with you? Oh, it's at least 20. I mean, I just I collect a bunch just because I'm a nerd. I'm, I'm a gearhead and I'm a nerd. So I just have them all over the place, you know. Hey, fun toys. And I think when you've been in podcasting long enough, like you just start collecting this stuff. Like exactly. you, Mike's just kind of emerge in your office and you don't even know how you got it and, or who gave it to you. It's and true. it's it's quite a, I mean, like podcasting something else. I'm, I'm always interested in hearing, Stephen, about podcaster origin stories because every person like who's in this field always has a cool why for why they're in there and a cool backstory and history behind it. So you came from a musical background. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you went from that music background to getting into podcasting? Sure, absolutely. So I studied trumpet performance uh, in college. So I have a trumpet degree, uh, this bachelor's of music. And during college, though, I was really into video editing. I taught myself web development, kind of did all that on the side. And once podcasting came around, I just, I loved the medium and I wanted to get involved in it. And so I was, you know, writing my RSS feed and XML and a text document on my Mac and just did techie shows solo, basically in my attic recording and, you know, for a very small audience, but I just loved it. And so I wanted to keep doing it, loved listening to them, producing them over time. And then in about 2015, I had the opportunity to start the uh, Apple Insider podcast, which is a 
tech-based Apple device podcast. And that was the first kind of real successful show that we've had. And I still do that today. And it has a growing audience. And now it's spread, started another show on that network about smart home devices called HomeKit Insider. Do the movie podcast. I just, I feel like podcasting is such a unique medium, especially how the relationship between listener and hosts, just how that develops and how you can almost feel like you know these people, even if you've never met them. I feel like it's a unique medium for that. And that's why I just love it. It's it's a really... Uh, great medium. And I like that you mentioned, you know, 2015 is kind of the year that you really kind of kicked podcasting into high gear with your Apple podcast. Um, 2015 was also the year I started podcasting. It's the, uh, the uh, maiden voyage of break the business was on, it was in wow. 2015. And I just think about how much the day to day of podcasting has changed in that period of time. I remember in 2015, to do an interview like the one that you and I are doing right now required, at least on my setup, required two different computers. I needed one computer to record the audio and a second computer to do the recording. And they both went into a mixer and I had to do like weird mix minus stuff to not have an echo. And it was a mess in my office, just a just a haze of cables to get through. Absolutely. And now today, like we have platforms like StreamYard where just, you know, one little website, you don't even need equipment and you're podcasting. And so I think the the barrier to entry is lower than ever. The amount of software and hardware that you need is lower to ev- lower than ever. And so I think it's easier than ever to get started in this medium. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of your impression of this change in technology that's happened even in the last few years and what it means for folks today getting started in podcasting? Absolutely. You know, I feel like it took hundreds of dollars and obviously very difficult. You needed to have expertise in the area. And now a lot of times when people are just getting started, I recommend one USB mic, you know, the ATR 2100X from Audio-Technica. It's a $70 USB microphone. And it's just, it sounds incredible. And honestly, someone could podcast on that for years. And now with the software that's available, especially with video, you can have a professionally produced show. You can sound great. And so really, it's on the content. It's what is your topic? How are you going to niche down into that topic and find a unique angle? That's really what you need to focus on to be successful. You know, when I started 2015 and even earlier, if you were a podcast in any genre, you know, you can kind of find an audience immediately because people were just looking for shows uh, on any topic, really. Uh, but today you do have to be different you have to stand out and now it's so important to have that video side even if people aren't watching full-length video you need to have that video component to share clips on social media because that's how you are discovered honestly that's where people are finding new podcasts and you kind of have to go out there and get your audience by sharing those clips all over those social media networks so and this is kind of a recent change in podcasting certainly when when i started this show like we didn't even have a video component. It was right. just audio. And and as you noted, right, when we started, we were kind of like the only ones making a podcast about our particular genre. And so, you know, we, we, we were the only game in town and people were perfectly fine to hear us and not see us. But especially in the last, I mean, this is kind of a new phenomenon, maybe in the last couple of years, people expect their podcast to have a visual component, even if it's just because you want a 30 second clip that you share on social media so video is basically now like the chief way that podcasts promote themselves, which is sort of ironic because this is still fundamentally an audio medium. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, that's the question of like, what is a podcast? And I'm still of the old school <laughs> mindset of like a podcast is powered by RSS that you can put in any podcast app that you want to listen to. And it's an audio 
And you could still do video via RSS feed. You know, there's podcasts that are longstanding, like MacBreak Weekly uh, on the Twit Network. You know, that's a tech show, has been doing video since the beginning via RSS. But I still define a podcast that way. And that's why in recent years, when some companies like Luminary first tried it, and then Spotify, where they do exclusive shows, where in order to listen to a show like Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard, you had to do it in the Spotify app. Honestly, I didn't consider that a podcast anymore because it wasn't freely available. It wasn't really powered by a public RSS feed. It was a unique show to Spotify's platform to try and get people to lock in and then hopefully subscribe to Spotify on the music side. Thankfully, and interestingly enough, that's actually not been successful for Spotify. And a lot of those shows are now no longer exclusive to the platform. Again, Dax Shepard's uh, Armchair Export is no longer an exclusive show on Spotify. And so I think that speaks to the podcast community and the listeners that they want podcasting to still be what it was as far as free and open, where you can listen in any app you want. And so I was happy to see that change. Yeah, thank goodness for that. I I want you to join me in a particular mission here, Stephen. Um, okay. A lot of the folks that are listening to the show, they a lot of them are podcasters, or at least have done podcasting, but a lot of them are not. This is a broad audience of independent creators, musicians, uh, maybe some uh, TikTokers, live streamers. But I think regardless of the field that you are in as an entertainer, making a lane for yourself in podcasting, making podcasting one of the things that you do to engage with your fans can be a lucrative thing. So for the folks who are on the fence right now or are considering getting into podcasting, but look at, you know, think of like people like you who've been doing it for so long and have all this equipment that they're just kind of afraid to get started. Um, what would you recommend for them as step one, like to allow them to kind of put dip their toe into the water and start making some podcasts? For sure. And so, you know, I was fortunate enough to build a curriculum for the Los Angeles Film School to teach podcasting. And that's now actually a course that is being taught there. And I get to do that uh, for the online program. Well, we need you to take all that and do it in 60 seconds. Go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first the first thing I tell them, you know, you have to find something you're passionate about. You know, you cannot podcast. You know, if you try to follow a trend or a topic, you know, true crime is just a a massive uh, genre of podcast right now very popular, very trendy. If you're not passionate about it and you try to do a show, you're not going to have the longevity and consistency. You're just not going to have the passion and the motivation to keep doing it. So you have to find a topic you are passionate about. And secondly, you need to find the unique angle to set yourself apart. I tell people, you know, I have students that'll say, well, I want to do a sports podcast. I was like, well, you're competing with ESPN. You're competing with previous NBA players who have podcasts. Like just talking about sports in general, you're not going to find an audience. Like no one's going to find your show. What you need to do is find a unique angle. I always use the example of imagine if you covered a high school basketball team in a small town and you talk about the parents and the students and the drama on that team. You talk to the coaches and maybe you have sound bites. Now all of a sudden you have a built-in audience because everyone at that high school is going to want to hear that show. But if you make it compelling and actually make it dramatic, you'll actually find a wider audience. And so it's a little counterintuitive. Sometimes people think if you niche down and get too specific that you lose an audience and it's not the case. It's actually creating a unique angle and a broader interest. And the last thing I'll say, the reason why podcasting is so powerful is because it really builds the loyal audience fan base. It's not a way to necessarily grow an entire business, but you'll see more businesses now doing branded podcasts because they know if they have listeners and an audience listening every week to the voices of this brand or this company, that's how you build a loyal fan base. And those will be the ones most likely to either buy your product, sign up for your service or what have you. And so that's the importance even for larger brands to have a podcast. 
and in terms of setting expectations for folks getting into podcasting, right? Like we we see the the Joe Rogans of the world who, you know, have just, you know, millions of listeners and and maybe that's our expectation, but you know, you've often told your students and told people getting into podcasting to you know, expect modest growth. Like you've you've described podcasts as a slow growth medium. Uh, what do you Absolutely. mean by that? You're rarely going to have virality in podcasting. You can have virality on TikTok. Sometimes you can't even on YouTube. I've seen some of my videos blow up just overnight. And so there's possible virality there. Podcasting is just not that kind of medium. And that's okay because, again, every listener you gain, that's a loyal follower, someone who's actually going to take action when you ask them to. And so it is going to be slow growth. That's why it is important you share those clips on all the different social media platforms. But it's okay. You know, and I tell people, don't be discouraged. You know, we look at download numbers, first of all, and that can be very discouraging, especially for a new podcaster. But like I talk about at the Los Angeles Film School, there's many other metrics now for podcasters that wasn't available 10 years ago. Things like retention rates, things like you can actually see who follows your show in Apple Podcasts and Spotify and who is engaged, who actually listens to the show. But it's not just a single metric like download number. You can see, oh, this many people listen to 80% of the show or this many people tune out after 60 seconds. And honestly, you will see the retention graph on podcasts is actually much better typically than something like YouTube. If you see a YouTube retention graph, it drops after the first 20 seconds. But a podcast, even just on average, you'll have a much flatter retention rate. That means people are consuming more of that content than even a YouTube video. And so don't just look at the download number. Don't worry about that slow growth. You're actually encouraging and building relationship with people through that podcast. I love that. Now, let's talk resources because... I'm looking at your setup there. It'd be just like I mean, even like the blue light behind you. That's super rad. The set pieces, the twenty microphones, the cool, you know, cool set of cans you got over your head. You want to change everything the color about on the fly? that? I want to know if the if if the Whoa, art on colors. the back wall is acoustic treatment or is like is it pretty acoustic treatment or is it just mm-hmm. artwork? These are actually acoustic panels from Gick Acoustics. G I K is the brand, uh-huh. and they sell these and from patterns and different colors. And I got them in white, uh, so they reflect the color lights that I'm shining on the back wall. But yeah, now, yeah. all of that is incredible. You got a cool setup there, but anybody who follows your content knows, like, you're obviously going to have a lot of cool tech. For a new podcaster who's just getting into this, maybe has a budget of a hundred dollars to get started. What is the best way to direct those resources to get the most bang for their buck as they're starting out? Absolutely. Again, I would say get yourself a USB mic. You can get one for $60, $70. And then honestly, this device that you probably have in your pocket, which is your mobile phone, can be iPhone, can be Android phone. You can do so much with these devices now, and the cameras on them are incredible. Honestly, way better than most webcams. And honestly, a step up from this is like a mirrorless camera, which is thousands of dollars. So you probably already have a great camera in your pocket. And there are great tools, things like a continuity camera. If you have a Mac and an iPhone, you can set up your iPhone and it's used as a webcam connected to your Mac wirelessly. Don't have to install any third-party apps. You can have great video here and you can have a great microphone. Then as you can gain funds, buy lights. You know, you can start with a ring light, an inexpensive light, or just make sure you have good technique, like sit facing a window rather than have a window behind you, because then you look like a silhouette. Just playing with your... Unless your, you're going for that. <laughs> if you're going for a fan of the opera look, uh, for sure, then yeah, you go for the silhouette. Uh, but honestly, your phone and a USB mic, and honestly, you can go a long way. Again, it's really about the content today. 
You don't have to worry about, you know, it's fun to nerd out about gear. Obviously, I'm all about it. But you don't need to be intimidated. And Mr. Beast, who's the biggest YouTuber out there, he says, don't suffer from analysis paralysis, meaning don't think about what you're about to do, you know, for months before you actually do it. It's not going to be great at the beginning, and that's okay. If you start making videos, you start making podcasts, you will improve over time. So you just have to start. Just press record, start publishing, and you'll improve over time. Thank you for saying this. I got to tell you, there's so many entertainers or entertainment industry professionals that I talk to who want to get into podcast and are doing exactly what you spoke about there, what Mr. B spoke about there, paralysis by analysis. They spend so much time agonizing over episode one. What is the format going to be? What's my theme music? How am I structuring the show? Am I going to do interviews? Are we going to, is it going to be NPR style audio documentaries? Like they get so into the weeds about what it looks like that first episode that they never make the first episode or they make the first episode get so burned out by just planning it that they never get to episode two. And what I tell creators is the same thing you just said. You got to just start. It's the only way to start is to start and accept the fact that your first podcast is going to be horrific. Please, viewers and listeners, do not find episode one of Break the Business, I beg of you. Sort by oldest. Yes. Oh, God. Those three words could end my legal and podcasting career. Sort by oldest. But it's it's such a good point because... If you look at the podcast landscape, you know, there's over 4 million podcasts out there in the directory, which sounds intimidating. But if you publish 10 episodes on a consistent basis, you are automatically in the top 1% of podcasts. 10 episodes published consistently. If you get to 20 episodes, you're in the top like 95 like percentile. And so just being able to do it consistently with decent enough quality, you're going to be ahead of most of those millions of podcasts. So plan out 10 episodes, have a plan, but again, don't freeze at the start. Uh, Again, going back to Mr. Beast, because his advice for YouTubers honestly applies to podcasters too. But your 100th video is where you're going to start to grow. That's what he says on YouTube. He says, plan on making 100 videos, and then you can really start focusing on growth and look at the numbers. And I think for podcasting, get 15, 20 episodes in before you really start stressing about all the details. Just start recording, start publishing it. You're already in the top 1%. Yeah, don't worry about details with episode one because you can't possibly know all of the details until you actually get your show out there and figure out what your show is and what it needs to be. Like You have to actually put something out there before you can fix it. Exactly. And and again, like I tell my students, Yes, it's intimidating with all these people out there. You see these influencers with hundreds of thousands of followers. But I do think, you know, I tell people, if you're passionate about something, you find a niche, you can have a unique take. Even if you're talking about a topic that there are other shows about it, there's other movie review podcasts, whatever it is. If you're authentic, if you are have that niche, interesting topic, you'll find an audience. And that's the other thing, too. I think authenticity is what comes through in a podcast that you don't necessarily get on social media and sometimes even YouTube. I think you can get it on YouTube. But listening to someone talk for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you get to really connect authentically to that person. And that's where you get that that loyal fan base. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't even like the word fan base. You know, I really do think it is. It's an audience, but it's it's people connected to the content. A community. Yeah, yeah thank you. Oh, sure. I like that. For sure. You can find our guest is Stephen Robles. You can find out more about his podcast, YouTube channel, and newsletter by visiting what has to be the best domain name I've ever laid eyes on, beard.fm. I love it. 
I, I, I appreciate the podcasting advice, but with the time we have left, Steve, <laughs> I, I have to take this in a different direction. Since sure. you are, you host a podcast about film, you are a film buff, I have to ask you the question that I ask all film buffs that walk through the doors of this program. Oh, boy. What is your most controversial movie opinion? It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be good. I can already tell. And this is diff this is very difficult. Um, I don't know. Well, I don't know if it's controversial, but I will say um, I love highbrow movies. Uh, the Godfather is incredible. You know, I love all the whatever Academy Award winners. But honestly, I love a disaster movie. I think there is just <laughs> there's just so much fun. The core. <laughs> The core is just one of the most pristine oh, pieces of filmmaking. Man. Just love the, the core. core. San Andreas with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I don't know what it is. Like wow. I know they're not good movies, but I just enjoy them so much. <laughs> but I just love them. I mean, how? Okay, that's that's a that is a great answer, Stephen. That gave that, that is exactly the payoff we wanted. Okay, great. but now a follow up is warranted. Okay. How weird do you get with this take? Because, yeah, like, are we talking about mainstream disaster movies? Like, wow. you know, oh, no, like I you're can't. the core? Or do you also have a place in your heart for a Sharknado, perhaps? No, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> How? do the Sharknado. He doesn't no. go that far. I'm a San Andreas, you know, the day after tomorrow. I'll even go to Geostorm <laughs> with Gerard Butler. You know, I'm, 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 I'm about those. I'm good with a B movie. I don't go out down to the D. No, I'll stay in the <laughs> B, <laughs> B, C category, C+. But, plus, you know. but you're, you're saying that Stephen Robles loves a movie where a scientist is getting ignored. <laughs> I don't like it in real life, but I like right. it in the movies. But in a movie, but it makes a great movie content. It makes a great movie. Like, yes. At some point, you want a character like two thirds of the movie to go, We should have listened. And then the earth opens up and he just falls down the crack. And, oh, yeah, and that's the guy that, 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 that's the one that falls into the open earth, is the one that, that was doubting the scientist the hardest in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Exact, that is exactly right. I don't know what it is. I don't know why I like those movies. It's terrible, but yeah. They're, they're awesome. I love them. Oh, my God. That is a great answer to that question. That is exactly what we were looking for. You can find, again, you can find out more about our guest work by visiting beard.fm. Before we let you go, Stephen, one last question for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Oh, man. You know, again, I go back to finding, finding your passion, finding your topic, but also find good systems obviously a lot of the times this stuff is on the side you know we have you have a job you have responsibilities you have a family you have three kids and a lot of times it's it's difficult to squeeze it in and you know i know we were joking about the uh, the ai moment you know talking about a break you know or a peaceful uh i forgot what it was peaceful moment what was that oh purposeful pausing purposeful is what the pausing. ai overlord gave but, us uh, yeah you know i do think obviously it's going to be a, above your 40-hour job when you're getting into this but also make sure you still put a boundary on it. You know, don't spend your entire weekend on it. Um, you know, there, there's a great book, Creativity Inc. This is real quick, but there's a chapter in that book called The Hungry Beast and the Ugly Baby. And uh, it's about the founding of Pixar and Disney and all this kind of stuff. And it's so interesting. And when you have a new idea, when you start something new, you do have to protect it for a time. And then you do have to evaluate it to say, is this actually viable? Is this something that I can do long term? And so put everything you have in it, be consistent, get your 20 podcast episodes out there, see what happens. If anyone listens, if there's any signs of growth and then, you know, 50 episodes, I did this with my movie podcast, me and my co-host, we said at 50 episodes, if we don't get anyone paying our Patreon to support this show, we're going to call it. 
And, you know, 50 episodes, we felt like that would have been a good run. And thankfully, we had people support us on Patreon, and we actually have a number of them now, and so we continue to do it. So give yourself that first initial, like, I'm going to try hard at this, I'm going to put the effort with boundaries, get to 20 episodes, and then evaluate. Do you need to change the topic, change the medium, change the niche, whatever it may be, and then you can make the call from there. Marvelous insight. Nice, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stephen, we really appreciate your insight. You, you've made us all a lot smarter about podcasting. And you would think after 400 episodes of doing this nonsense, we, we know everything. But nope, bring you in and we get uh, quite enlightened. Thank you very, very much for your time this week. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Right on. Uh, Stephen Robles, everybody. You can find out more about his work again by visiting the amazing uh, domain beard.fm. Before we close for this week, producer Lauren, I think... We need to acknowledge the fantastic work of our nibbling Maddie, who created the new logo for Break the Business. Brand new. If you you follow, check out our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. You will find our new logo thumbnail, which looks amazing. It is a uh, incredible improvement over the prior logo that I think I slapped together on microsoft paint and so back in 2013 yeah. uh back in so we, we we've uh finally upgraded after 400 episodes to something that we're a lot more proud of and we encourage you all to check that out and thanks to maddie for putting that together for us thanks to our guest Stephen robles thanks to you producer lauren and thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out break the business we will see you next week 